every writer has a writer or two or 10 he or she looks up to. And for me, that writer is and always will be Nora Ephron. She's someone I would do anything for just an hour with to pick her brain on our shared craft and to just listen to woman to woman. I have a feeling many writers feel the same. Her life, her journey, her story touches people in a way few writers ever have or ever will. Maybe it was her keen ability to be funny through really painful situations, to be raw and real and human, to let us into a beautifully imperfect life. Nora Ephron is such a special person and she left us far too soon, 10 years ago this summer. Even if you don't recognize her name, for whatever reason, I know you'll recognize her movies. When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, Julie and Julia, Silkwood, Heartburn. She also wrote eight books of essay collections. And finally, there's a definitive biography about her written by my new friend, Kristen Dorge. Take a listen to our conversation. Kristen, I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. We were just talking offline about how much Nora Ephron means to me and how close she is to my heart. And you, know, you could have written a book about anyone or anything. So why choose Nora Ephron? What does she mean to you? Oh my gosh, what a great and also difficult challenging first I question know, right? um <laughs> no yeah yeah I mean I think that that really it, you know the answer is in the question I mean she she is um everything and she you know has this wonderful quote from her Wellesley speech that became famous in 1996 where she said so what are you going to do my guess is everything and um mm -hmm. you know it's it's true she is a person who um, you know, refuse to kind of be <laughs> shoved into any kind of corner or, or box, if you will. Um, and when I was searching for a focus for my master's thesis, I had come across this article about her, uh, as a journalist. And I had never known that she had this whole other life as a journalist. I, of course, yeah. knew her as the beloved filmmaker. And so I became really curious about, this woman, you know, who came of age as obviously things for women were changing in, in America and um, she's writing and, and helping us understand it right along through all the changes um, through, you know, basically more than five decades of change. Um, and so I just became fascinated and the more I read and the more I learned, the more I wanted to know. <laughs> so yeah. that's how it kind of uh, evolved. Well, she's so multi-layered and, mm -hmm. you know, for those that aren't aware, let me give listeners just a very high level Nora Ephron primer for the real story you need to buy the book. But Nora Ephron is everything. She's a journalist, as you said, who fought for women's rights in the newsroom. She's a screenwriter of some of probably your favorite films. I know they're some of my favorite films, Heartburn, When Harry Met Sally, which is my ultimate number one favorite movie of all time, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail, Julie and Julia, the latter three she also directed. So she's a journalist, she's a screenwriter, she's a director. You write in the book brilliantly that all roads lead to Nora. And I love that. So tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, 
her influence is so um, profound that I think sometimes we don't even realize it, you know? Um, She was the original foodie before being a foodie was a thing, you know, for example. (laughs) Um, And again, you look at any one of the kind of current, uh, you know, streaming hits from Only Murders in the Building to Ted Lasso to Succession, um, she one way or another either worked directly with the showrunners or was a mentor of theirs or you know somehow impacted them and so even though you know there's been a discussion for you know gosh a couple of decades now about whether or not the romantic comedy is dead or alive or sleeping or whatever it is but (laughs) the point is Nora Ephron I mean her her words and her um you know, presence is still very much felt pretty much anywhere you look in, in, in culture. So one of my favorite, I mean, I could quote Nora Ephron all day long, but one of my favorite <laughs> lines from one of her movies is when Harry met Sally, when you meet the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. I mean, just like that is just beautiful. It's, it's poetry. And then, you know, of course, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan pulled it off. And um, I, I mean, I just, I can't tell you as a writer, how much I am influenced by this woman and kind of shockingly, I mean, Nora wrote books of her own. She wrote a lot of memoirs and essay collections, but really your book is becoming the seminal biography of Nora. And, and it was a white space that I'm really glad you filled. And so let's talk about her life for a minute. So she was hugely influenced by her mother, Phoebe, who Mm -hmm. told her the phrase that Nora later made famous, which I use in my own life all the time as a writer, which is everything is copy. So what was their mother-daughter relationship like? Oh, gosh. Um, Very complicated, as many mother-daughter relationships are. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And, and that was really a really important, um, kind of, um, realization I came to in, in the writing and reporting of the book. Um, she, once you understand her grief over the loss of her mother, who she absolutely revered and admired and also became angry with, um, as she grew more and more ill, she, everything she did, in her life from there forward, all of her films, you see Phoebe's influence and you see her um, kind of work toward peace with this complicated relationship, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think about Michael in particular, which is kind of like a sleeper Nora Ephron hit. Um, It's one of, it was one of her highest grossing movies, Uh, came out in 1996 with John Travolta as the It's a sort of slovenly angel and, um, but it's really wonderful because it actually has quite a lot of references to home and to, um, what it means to be home and things like that. And, and even, you know, naming the, the, uh, main character, Dorothy, you know, it's kind of a homage to the wizard of Oz, which of course the series of Oz books is, was one of her most treasured, um, uh, gifts from her mom. And so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, you know, she was asked about her relationship with her mother and she of course always gave a different clever Nora Ephron answer to it. But I think, um, at the end of the day, you know, she loved and admired her very much and her influence in 
who she became um, can't be overstated. Well, she comes from a family of writers, Nora does. And her sister, Delia Efron, I actually just got back not too long ago from vacation. And I read while I was on vacation, Left on 10th, which is Delia's newest memoir, Brilliant. Delia is also a famous writer. They collaborated frequently. Can you describe Nora and Delia's bond? Oh, I love this question. I love Nora and Delia's bond. I think it should be a series. I think there should be a movie about it or a series about it. I'm just going to put that out there into the the ether. Oh, thank you. This is a Um, series or something. Totally, because it's so unique. I mean, how often do you see, you know, second generation uh, screenwriting duo who, you know, they collaborated their entire lives, literally up until the day that Nora left us in the hospital. They were working on a pilot for uh, HBO. And uh, yeah, I mean, they just absolutely adored each other uh, from the time that, you know, from Delia's earliest memory of Nora, you know, biting into a tomato and, and it squirting into her eye, you know, or, you know, her father, their father Henry's memory of Nora kind of sneaking up there and pinching the baby. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just the most precious, wonderful thing. And as, as uh, a sibling of, of two other sisters, I'm, I'm one of four. Um, I also understand how complicated their relationship um, could Mm be, uh, particularly as it related to their parents and, you know, the care for their father uh, when he became ill. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot there. And um, I I just am so grateful that Delia is still with us and we get to kind of still, you know, hear her memories and and her, you know, um, just wonderful explanations about how they work together and uh, you can just kind of picture the two of them in the room, one of them at the typewriter, oh one, one, you know, and just kind of, they had this wonderful uh, professional collaboration. And obviously they just absolutely adored each other um, as sisters. I also brought Hanging Up by Delia, um, book, a book by Delia Fiction. Uh, you know, all, all fiction is laced in truth a little bit, but I brought that on vacation too. And I am really, you know, I've always loved Nora, but I'm really enjoying digging deeper into Delia lately. And I mean, mm-hmm. this is just, this family is just so talented that Nora hails from. Mm-hmm. I mean, she really had no choice, but to just be so, such a talent. And, um, you know, the parents are writers, four sisters, and um, you know, jumping forward into Nora's adulthood now, her second husband is also a well-known journalist and writer, Carl Bernstein. And in fact, Nora discovered her knack for screenwriting by working on a screenplay for his book, All the President's Men. And even though that script was ultimately not the one they went with, she found a real calling there. So I thought that was interesting. And though Carl didn't end up being the love of her life, he is the father of her two children and a big influence on her, uh, some ways positive, some ways negative. So can you describe their relationship? Uh, Nora and Carl? Yes. Mm. It's wow. tricky. It's complicated. Like, you know, it's like so much of all of our lives. It's tricky and it's complicated. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the most, I mean, all of writing and researching this book was very, very fun. Um, but one of the most, (laughs) one of the most fun parts was, you know, digging into the archives of some of these very sort of 
rare interviews that she gave early on in her career that, you know, were only in print and now you cannot find them unless you're digging through archives. They're not online anywhere. They don't, you know, really exist in any online form. So um, some of these interviews, you know, she, she would have hundreds of journalists that she would talk to when um, she made her directorial debut, for example, with This Is My Life. And mm-hmm. um, so she gave very different answers to each person. And it's super interesting. And one of the things she was asked was um, about her relationship with Carl. And this was, uh, I guess, around, you know, in the early 90s. So it's still a little bit, a little bit raw. Um, and she had met and fell in love with Nick Pileggi by then. So she was very, mm-hmm. very happy. But she still would sort of tear up when asked about this. And in one of the interviews, she said, I, I can't, she sort of waved her hand and said, I, 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 I can't. Yeah. Um, Cause this is, you know, a woman who obviously loved being strong. She admired strength in other people. She admired being strong for herself. And so um, I just feel like little moments like that kind of capture for her how hurt she was she was really really in love with Carl uh they were you know sort of a a a match made in journalism heaven if you will they both were uh obviously very very smart and talented and ambitious and at the time you know really seemed right for each other um they have their two wonderful sons Jacob and Max who um are both you know talented artists in their own right one's a writer and the other is a musician and um you know, I think over the years, they really became, um, I wouldn't say friends, I don't think they ever became friends, but I think they mm-hmm. did come to be um, really good parents for their for their sons. And so I think that that's a really beautiful thing, you know, divorce yeah. is, is, is so difficult. And, um, you know, they went through some very <laughs> painful, contentious uh, battles, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the time of Heartburn, the novel and Heartburn, the film. Um, but I think once they kind of got past that initial sort of um, pain, and again, there was pain on both sides, you know, it was very painful right. for Carl to emerge from, you know, the post Watergate years and realize, you know, um, I'm young, I'm ambitious, I've kind of already done this huge thing. Now what, you know, sort of thing. Right. And um, obviously, for her, she's kind of like, already moved on you know she she doesn't really pause to say I'm really sad and I wonder what I should do she's just like already on to her next thing and I think that you know in a way there's like a little bit of of kind of envy there you know like how mm-hmm. can I how does she do that you know <laughs> well you so. said it you said it um Nora famously wrote heartburn about the dissolution of their marriage um it reminds me of her famous words, above all, be the heroine of your own life, not the victim, because there was a betrayal there and everything is copy. So she takes it, she turns it into heartburn and everything in the love life department ends well for Nora because she married for the third and final time to the love of her life, Nick Pileggi, as you just said, she was asked to sum up life in six words. I absolutely love this. And she said, secret of life, marry an Italian. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love that. I love, um, I just, I love the rawness of Nora's writing, how she takes us there in heartburn. But then of course she comes back with this amazing love story and they were together until the end of her life. So you, you know, Nora was committed to being a woman writing about women. She was a fierce feminist all the way back to her early days as a journalist. So how did, how did that show up in her work? How did 
being a woman writing about women show up in her vast volumes of work over the decades? Hmm. I think, I think she embraced who her mother was in the sense that it was just implied, you know, it was implied growing up that um, whatever they wanted to be and whatever they wanted to do as girls and as women would, would come to be. And, um, you know, she never really wanted to kind of pontificate about this, about, well, isn't that interesting? And isn't that neat, you know, that we're girls and we grew up in the fifties and early sixties and we got to do whatever we wanted. I think she just kind of thought, well, of course it should be like that. You know, it's sort of implied. And, um, so I think that the way that shows up is, um, partially just in her vulnerability and also in her ability to, always write it funny, you know, like that was one of her greatest <laughs> survival skills that she learned from her parents. And um, I think that she, I think one of the things that fascinated me definitely was this idea that someone who really is a feminist is writing these romantic movies and kind of being uh, poking fun at, but also embracing the idea that we're all looking for love at the end of the day. Yeah. And I just thought that that was so cool because like you said, it gives so many more layers to these movies that a lot of people, you know, from time to time, there've been many, many discussions by, you know, feminist scholars about, you know, that's, you know, wrong, you know, and it's, it's just, it's just kind of funny because you realize that she is very aware as she's writing these things of how kind of ironic it is and funny it is. Right. Isn't it funny that, you know, that I love, we love men and we also hate men, you know, that kind of thing. And so, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and, yes. and, you know, th there's that, that great quote in um, Jacob's wonderful documentary that he made called everything is copy Yes. from Lena Dunham. And she said, you know, she both loved being a girl and hated it. And it's, it's true, you know, it's very, challenging and especially in you know the 60s and 70s in the United States it's like well should we be burning our bras or can we still want to be pretty and what does that mean if a guy holds the right. door for us you know and um, another really cool rare uh, interview with Studs Terkel that she gave um, in the early 70s she was talking about going out with a friend and they needed to be escorted by men in order to get a table at a restaurant and uh -huh. So they sort of found some randoms at the bar and said, can you ask, you know, this is ridiculous. We can't just go sit at our table. It's just things like that, that kind of remind you, this is the context she's living in. So it makes it even more special that she, right. you know, sort of just made it a non-issue. Um, and I was talking to um, a colleague of hers the other day who was a assistant editor on her, her film and uh, on her last film, Julia and Julia. And she was saying, you know, she never talked about the challenges of being a female director. It was more of just, these are things that come up on a film set and here's how we'll deal with them. You know, she was never going to kind of cop to the idea that anything was harder, although she certainly would acknowledge that um, early on, especially before she became a director. She felt very frustrated that her right. screenplays that centered around women were not getting, were not getting made. Well, I want to call out two things there. First of all, the HBO documentary everything is copy 
everyone please watch this read read Kristen's book and then watch everything is copy on HBO amazing I cried and cried and cried Kristen I mean just she just <laughs> takes me there emotionally in mm. in a way like as far as heroines in writing go Nora is it for me and another thing I wanted to call out is you're right. She very much was a feminist, but she also showed us that you can be a feminist and also want to be partnered. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that that, that juxtaposition is, is pretty beautiful. And I mentioned a moment ago that my favorite movie of all time is when Harry met Sally, which Nora <laughs> wrote and produced. And I am the bulk of the work that I do is as a Royal family commentator. And one of my favorite anecdotes from your book was princess Diana's reaction to the orgasm scene. And <laughs> when Harry met Sally, um, she, Diana wanted to uproariously laugh because it's funny, right? But she knew everyone was watching her at the premiere. So she wanted to watch it back at Buckingham Palace with her girlfriend so she could actually laugh as loud <laughs> as she wanted to. That is, the, that is one of the many brilliant anecdotes from your book. So um, I want to talk about When Harry Met Sally because it is, it's, it is such a meaningful movie to me. Of the movie, you beautifully write, Quote, mostly what resonates today for viewers and filmmakers alike is that we hope beyond all hope that flaws and all will eventually find a way to be someone's person and someone will want to be ours. So good. So tell me what impact when Harry met Sally had on Nora's life. Well, it completely changed her life. Um, and so when I was thinking about where to start Nora's story, there's of course so many wonderful moments, um, that impacted her for better or worse, but that was one that I thought was just so interesting and so wonderful because, you know, anecdotally you say Nora Ephron and someone might not know who you're talking about. And then you say, when Harry met Sally and they go, oh cats is deli right meg ryan and so you're like (laughs) yes exactly and so um you know it's it just i mean in her words she said it completely changed her life um doors started to open um that hadn't been open before with regard to screenwriting um and you know she really felt like she had a whole new kind of lease on life as as a filmmaker um because it wasn't long after that that she got to direct her first project um mm-hmm. and so she um you know really took advantage of being on the set with uh Rob Reiner who was directing when Harry met Sally and learning mm-hmm. and um observing and taking notes as she always did and same with her her first film uh, Silkwood she was very much mentored by Mike Nichols and you know, as she put it, went to the Mike Nichols Film School, which is pretty much the best film school you can go no to. Kidding, because, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he just absolutely adored her and she adored him and also really admired and respected his, his work as a, as a theater director and as a film director. And so I think between the two of them, among many other um, iconic directors who she spoke with she really felt like I can I can do this not only can I write this but I can I can do this and one of the main reasons she had confidence to do that was she knew that Delia could be her co-writer and so it was really important to her that she had Delia with her because she thought I can do this but also what am I doing and how do I know what to do and so um, it's really fun to get to kind of trace her journey too as 
um, you know, kind of a novice filmmaker and, and saying, can, can you do this? And I, should I move the camera there and that kind of thing and really kind of coming into her own, um, you know, by the time Julie and Julia came out, um, gosh, 20 years later. So, um, yep. you know, she had really honed her craft by then, obviously. And um, it's really wonderful to get to, to see. I wish we could have seen it uh, for much, much longer, of course. But Oh, you it, and me both. You and me both. Yeah. Speaking of Julie and Julia, Nora was actually a great cook. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. If mm. you could go to Nora's place for dinner tonight, mm-hmm. would you hope she served you? And what one question would you have for her as you ate dinner? That has got to be two of the hardest questions to answer. So I know I've just put you on the spot. Yeah, um, she would serve very simple dishes, actually. That's Mm -hmm. the word on the street, okay? Word on the Hollywood street, if you will. Uh Um, Because these are very, very famous people who are in there doing the dishes. Like Tom Hanks, I've heard, would help do the dishes. So, I mean, this is like a woman who can get... (laughs) the most wonderful, talented, important, powerful people in the world together in a room and have these wonderful conversations and these wonderful gatherings. Um, I would say number one, her mashed potatoes recipe and number two, uh, fried chicken. And she has this wonderful way, of course, of explaining to us how to make fried chicken, which is you order it. You do not try to make it. Okay. And sounds um, like me. I have one dish I make really well, Kristen. I right, I already butchered the joke. I already killed the punchline. I have one thing I make really well, and that's a reservation. And so that's, that's why right. Nora's my there girl. You, you call in, you cook, you order the chicken. Absolutely. You know, she, you know, one of her uh later essays about, you know, Christmas dinner, she spoke about, you know, being a very good orderer, how that is its own talent. And I felt very validated and seen by this. I feel very seen by that. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, she was very, um, very hurt because she had been moved from dessert to hors d'oeuvres. And she was like, who am I? Don't you understand? I'm Nora Ephron. I have some of the best, (laughs) you know, recipes in the world. What are you doing? And then she, she, you know, sort of, slipped into her bubble bath and she's contemplating this and she (laughs) says oh my god maybe people haven't been liking my desserts all these years they've been (laughs) lying to me you know so it's just it's a classic so I would say yes I would say um some sort of pie some sort of mashed potato and maybe a, a a fried chicken situation that she ordered and had perfectly prepared she she always knew the best place to get everything so she had done a lot of research on this about this is the perfect place to get the chocolate cake and this is why and you want to let it cool for 10 minutes before you blah 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 so you know she would know all the best things um i would say for a question uh i would definitely ask her can i have more questions um because there's so <laughs> many things you know yes. there's so many things she's i think i think i just um I feel so grateful for all the people who knew her, who, who so generously shared their, their memories of her with me, but I really wish I could have met her in real life. I really wish. Oh I could. gosh. Can you yeah. even imagine mm-hmm. just how magnanimous she must've been? I just, mm-hmm. just pulling you into her light. Ugh, I, I, that that's, you know, they asked the question, who's at your dinner party living in mm-hmm. dead. 
Nora, yep. like Nora sits right beside Jesus along like, and I'm mm-hmm. not calling, I am not calling Nora Jesus, but like, I want Jesus there. I want Nora Ephron there. And then the third is just a grab bag of different people. Um, <laughs> so she left us 10 years ago, Kristen, I can't believe it's been 10 years. And uh, she got, Nora got sick and really didn't let anyone on. We didn't know the public didn't know that she was as sick as she was. And she died rather unexpectedly to even some of those who knew who were close to her at age 71 in 2012. Her loss was enormous to me. I'm sure it was to you and so many others. She always did this five words exercise. You know what I'm talking about, Kristen and <laughs> listeners. You just have to read the book to know what we're talking about. So at the end of her life, what would you say are five words that would sum up Nora's impact? Hmm. Nora's impact. Uh, well, the words that come to mind as far as what she would have said potentially as her five things, these are, these are the five things that are most important about me right now as a 71 year old, mm-hmm. um, would be, uh, first and foremost, mother, wife, writer, sister, happy. Um, you know, when you picture this, this room at the hospital, um, which Richard Cohen really beautifully wrote about in his book, she made me laugh. Um, and also I got to interview him several times, which was really, really special. Um, you picture this room and it really was kind of a constant flow of her closest, closest friends and family coming in and out of the room and just holding her hand, you know, taking turns, holding her hand. And, um, certainly her sisters were there. Delia was there. Nick was there. Her sons, of course, um, some of her dear, dear friends, um, like Binky Urban and, and Ken Oletta and, um, you know, certainly Richard Cohen. And, uh, they just absolutely took in every last moment from what I can understand. And like you said, you can kind of imagine, uh, her light, you know, her light sort of transferring almost. Um, you know, she, she would giggle at that because she did not like hokey spiritual things like that, but, but you can feel it. I mean, you can feel it whenever, uh, I talk to people who knew her, she's very present in, in their lives and in their world. And so whether or not, she would think that was ridiculous. I don't know, but I do think that it's definitely a real thing. Uh, I'm like, I don't know what it is about this woman that just gets in my soul. Like I'm tearing up as you're talking and I just, there's just something about her. I don't know if she makes me feel really seen or she just gets it or what, but she just is, I will never be Nora Ephron. I'm not trying to be as a writer, but she is everything I aspire to be as a writer. Just gut level, honest, truth telling told in a funny way. Um, just such a picture of life told through her lens as only she could tell it. She's just brilliant to me. And I'm going to actually close the interview with this final question with the opening of your book. You write in your author's note at the beginning of the book about why Nora Ephron still matters 10 years on from her far too soon death. So I'm going to ask you final question. Why does Nora Ephron matter and why will she always matter? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've, you know, just started to scratch the surface, you know, with this interview. Yeah. And, and with this book, truly, I mean, I hope that in the future, there will be many, many more books and films made about her and, and that she'll continue to be talked about in film schools and journalism schools and um, dramatic arts programs. Um, and so I think that um, she's, you know, one of the greatest writers, um, I think of all time, but certainly of the 20th century, she's mm-hmm. one of the greatest directors. Um, and more importantly, she's just bigger than all of those things. Um, she really is. She, she spent a lot of time mentoring the next generation. And so, um, again, you, you, you can't even start to imagine the number of writers and people who she gave her time to, cause you don't understand, well, how was she, how did she have time, you know, to talk to all these people, right. um, and give of herself so generously. And yet she did, you know, and there's this really wonderful, um, uh, story, kind of small story that her, her longtime assistant and producer JJ Saka told me, which was that she would put sprinkles on a plate and let his kids sort of dip their ice cream in it. And they just thought that was wonderful. And it's just one of those little things that you realize she was sparkly, you know, she was, she was magical. And, you know, again, I, I'm just picturing her with her sort of, you know, eagle eye, like I'm a New Yorker. Okay. I'm serious. I'm a serious person, but she wasn't also, you know what I mean? Like she was just so funny and really, really absolutely more than anything else, never wanted to take herself too seriously. Mm -hmm. So I think that the fact that she was really, really smart and wise and honest and open, but also could just find the humor in very, very painful things. I mean, that's just the gift that keeps on giving. She was magic. And this book is fantastic, Kristen. Thank you for it. Nora Ephron, a biography is out June 7th. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Nora, thank you for leaving a legacy behind for all of us who draw inspiration from you. There will never be another Nora Ephron again. Stay tuned for another episode of I'd Rather Be Reading dropping in your feed very soon. Until then, go read or watch some Nora and celebrate the light she was and still is in this world.